Yes, now to the results of this sociological research on a truly massive scale using very contemporary tools. A fascinating American study that analysed these 21 billion Facebook friendships, chewing through the data to draw some conclusions about links and mobility across groups within communities. It really does throw some light too on deep areas of influence within families and children that clearly have very long tail effects of the sort that many parents may simply not consider. This new study has found that low socioeconomic children who grew up in neighbourhoods where people have more friendships uh, cut across class and economic lines um, far more than was generally realised. To talk us through the research and the potential implications, I'm pleased to welcome one of the authors of the study, Matthew Jackson. He's the William D. Abel Professor of Economics at Stanford University and alongside Raj Chetty of Harvard University and others is the author of this this academic study, Social Capital. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Geraldine. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, let's step back from the sort of specifics and just ask how you did this. 72 million young American adults, I think, primarily on 21 billion friendships was this data that you worked with, proprietary data from Facebook. How they let you have it, did they, and then analyse it? Yes, indeed. And, you know, it, it, it speaks to the the availability of modern data and the techniques that we have. I mean, this study couldn't have been done even a decade ago. So the computing power that was necessary, the size of the team, um, you know, it, it actually took us six years really to to process the data and to really get a good look at it and understand it. So, you know, the the scope and scale and the size of the team are, are things that were, you know, pretty much unprecedented in, in social science research. And just the accuracy of this data, you know, the number of, I wonder just how you processed all of the people who start Facebook groups and then stop and friendships and then stop, to making sure that it was accurate and up to date. Did did that preoccupy you a bit? Yes, indeed. Um, you know, so the, the data are pretty amazing because of, you know, the the sheer number of people who are actively involved in Facebook and the footprint that you can see in terms of their friendship patterns and other things about them really is is sort of unique. And it it's daunting to to go in. It's not like it's just a spreadsheet of data that you you know you you can just analyze. So actually, you know part of it was was figuring out how to extract the data in ways that we could use while still preserving the privacy of the individuals involved, um, but yet you know yielding good insights into what's actually happening. What were your aims when you started this research? Yeah, well, you know the, there's an old adage, you know it takes a village to to raise a child. And there are questions of, you know, why do some children have better opportunities for success than others? And when we think about what it means to say it takes a village, you know, people usually talk about, okay, it's social capital. Well, what is social capital? You know, there's lots of different things. Is it Does it mean that all my neighbors know each other and, and are friendly with each other? Does it mean that we all volunteer and help each other out? Or, or does it mean that, you know, that we're sort of, um, well connected across um, class lines, and and so we were we're looking at these different ways in which you could measure social capital. Is it how cohesive your group is, or how trustworthy it is, or is it you know that it connects well, and and you know so that that was what we were looking at, and and with Facebook data you can see volunteering rates, you can see, you know, whether people are all friends with each other in local neighborhoods, you can see whether there's friendships that cut across class lines. 
and and we could look at all those and then see what actually predicted whether a kid was going to end up, um, you know, rising out of poverty. Yes, I mean, one of the things that's really sort of, I suppose, grabbed people's attention is that you essentially say that uh, lower socioeconomic children who grew up in neighbourhoods where people had more friendships that cut across class and economic lines earn far more as adults and that cross-class friendships are a better predictor of upward mobility than school quality, job availability, community cohesion or family structure. It's a very interesting conclusion. Yes, yeah. I mean, I I think it was pretty um, surprising to us how strong this predictor was. It, it, It seems to sort of trump pretty much every other measure you throw at the at the problem and there's a lot of things that we knew mattered as you as you're mentioning you know how educated is an area how poor is an area and so forth but once you start controlling for whether or not there's these cross class connections a lot of those other things um stop mattering and so it you know it seems that part of the reason that you know an area with um uh poor people who are separated from the rich um, aren't advancing is because they don't have those connections. Um, and, you know, similarly, if if you have an area where you have lots of single parents that are working several jobs and so forth, it turns out that the kids tend to have fewer cross-class connections. Those places where they do have those connections, um, you know, the kids have a much better chance of of having a successful adulthood at least in terms of earning income. What kinds of places do encourage interclass mingling from your research? Yeah, so, you know, one part of the study that we did was eventually look at where friendships form. So we can see, uh, you know, is this a high school friendship or is it a university friendship? Is it a workplace friendship? Is it something was made in a church? So we, we go through different places in which friendships form, and then we can see which ones actually contribute the most towards these cross-class friendships. And it's it's it, it really does matter. So neighborhoods um, vary dramatically in how well they ca- connect people. Different schools vary dramatically. Different universities vary dramatically. So there's a lot of heterogeneity in in how these things happen. One thing that was um, really stood out was, uh, you know, for instance, churches in, in inside churches, people tend to connect across class lines. They aren't necessarily exposed, so churches tend to be segregated by income. But once you do get rich and poor people in the same church, they connect with each other. And whereas in universities, you suggest they don't. Yeah, they they tend not to. So universities are actually a good place for poor people to actually have exposure to richer people because, you know, there's there's a lot of richer people going to universities. But um, they vary dramatically in terms of how well they connect. And, And, you know, there's a lot of universities that put, you know, could be. Um, half rich and half poor, but have these people um, essentially just never mingle with each other. And there's other universities that actually do a fairly good job of it. And and so, you know, one thing we've put out is an atlas where people can actually look up different universities. You can look up different neighborhoods, different schools and so forth. And mm-hmm. and it's quite telling how different um, different places are. What about sporting clubs? Sporting clubs also are another place where you see a lot more connections across class lines than you would other places. Um, but again, you know, those are, are ones where they, they often are segregated by, by income level, but conditional on, you know, in situations where these people do um, are in the same clubs, they, they tend to, to mix much more um, than they would in a neighborhood or, or someplace else. But what is it exactly about these friendships that is so powerful? Did you tease that out a bit? 
Well, I think, you know, that that's one thing we want to understand better. Uh, you know, there's lots of hypotheses about these things. So why, why would it matter um, being connected to, you know, wealthier people? And I think, uh, you know, the, the, the basic ideas uh, are that it offers opportunities. For instance, you know, in the future, if I need a job, um, are my friends employed? Are they well employed? Do they, can they give offer me um, assistance in getting an interview? Uh, do I know what it takes to go to university? Are there people around me who have gone to university? Can I see what what they had to do to get into university and what the value is of doing it? Um, what are my aspirations? You know, and a kid growing up looks to their peers and their friends for their aspirations and you know how they behave. Are, are they doing homework? Are they taking school seriously? Or or are you know they have other things in mind? So all these things seem to play into it. Um, and I think, you know, hopefully by putting all this data out there, we'll be able to learn more about what precisely is at work. But it, it's clear that having, you know, this exposure um, through these friendships really matters. Is there a benefit for high socioeconomic friends in the relationship? Like you focused on mobility from lower up, but, but what about the yield or is there not one for people who are sitting in much more privileged environments? Yeah, I mean, um, so in the data, uh, what we do see is that, you know, the cross-type friendships don't, it, it doesn't drag down the, the people um, from the top, but we, we don't know whether what kinds of benefits they might be getting from it. In, in general, you know, you could imagine that they become more empathetic or they better understand other people's situations, that they have a better worldview. Uh, one thing we're, we're planning to explore now is starting to look at people's friendships and how they evolve. So, you know, if I'm exposed to, to more people from another class, does that mean that, that now I become, you know, more connected to them and, and make more friendships than I would have otherwise? Or do I behave otherwise differently in, in the future? So, um, hopefully the data will allow us to explore a lot more of these questions in detail. Mm. I mean, mobility in Australia has traditionally been right up high, you know, in, in the world, considerably more, I think, than the US, for instance. Um, but that has definitely been under challenge. I just wonder whether you, what you, what sort of conclusions you've drawn about mobility, social mobility in the United States, say, in the last 20 years. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing that's actually interesting in terms of the findings were they're pretty robust so that when we look across different subregions of the U.S., um, urban, rural, um, you know, richer and poorer or, you know, they have different cultural backgrounds, we seem to see the same patterns, you know, when you cut it pretty, pretty uh, thinly. And so a guess is that it's going to you know, we, we haven't reproduced it yet in other countries, but, um, you know, Facebook data, uh, you know, Facebook usage is high in Australia, for instance. So, you know, we can replicate this kind of finding in Australia and see how, how much of this um, is explaining what's going on there. And in Australia, you know, mobility is higher, but it's also been under fire from, you know, the increasing divide between people who have university educations mm. and don't, right? Mm. So that, you know, people with university educations are advancing a lot more than they used to relative to people who don't have that education. And I think worldwide, that's producing a bigger and bigger gap. And and so I think that, you know, the, the same kinds of insights will apply um, more, more, more generally, but it, it might be interesting to explore, you know, what's different across different countries. Yes, indeed. I think it'd be a fascinating study and certainly it's playing a role in politics. I think people are realising more and more. Look, what do you think it 
does mean this result that you've come up with for society? Should we forget really about or, or certainly sort of downgrade the importance of family structure or school quality in particular, which, you know, a lot of people really think a great deal about and focus on neighbourhoods and uh, clubs that encourage this kind of cross-class relationship. Yeah, you know, I, I suspect that it's somewhat all of the above. You know, your family certainly matters. The school quality of the school and access to good teachers matters. Um, but what this shows is that you know social capital is a non-trivial part of the of the puzzle, and really understanding. You know, when we look across schools. Smaller schools tend to do much better in terms of, of connecting people across class lines than larger schools do. So that, that can be a lesson for large schools. You know, if you've got a big school, you know, a lot of times urban schools tend to be really big. Um, if you want to be make, you know, making sure that friendships form across economic divides, you want to make sure that, that the kids are actually put into smaller classrooms and not just separated out into, you know, advanced honors courses and mm. um, other, you know, vocational courses where the, the students across class lines never, never see each other. Well, look, thank you very much indeed. I think you should expand your range and <laughs> do that bigger study you're talking about, which would be an extraordinary, you know, that would be of, of a considerable scale. But thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you, Geraldine. It's been a pleasure. Matthew Jackson, he's the William D. Abel of Professor of Economics at Stanford University. And they brought out, uh, he and his colleague Raj Chetty, have brought out the academic study Social Capital, a development really of Robert Putnam's Bowling Alone in some ways, um, which of course is from many years back. Well, coming up next, uh, some lovely suggestions in our August version of The Pick. <laughs> 